The Fair Play movement was founded in 2018 in the spirit of the times to focus on the gender deficit in Irish traditional music. But Una Monaghan, a harpist and researcher who was one of the founders of the group, discovered that trad appeared not yet ready for the reckoning that Me Too had inspired elsewhere. Often because the problems were not, it seemed, universally acknowledged. So Monaghan began a three-year process of gathering and classifying stories that made clear what inequality quality in Irish traditional music looked like, as she explained to Culture Files Anya Gallagher. I've worked in the music industry for 20 years now and in many different roles, you know, both as a performer, a composer and a sound engineer and, you know, women are underrepresented in all of them. So yeah, there was a certain amount of lived experience, there was a certain amount of learning how to exist in those worlds in a way that was going to enable me to be able to work in them. really became obvious to me and especially other people who work freelance will understand this as well that you know if your work depends on networks of people and on making connections with people and you know relationships really if you have a problem in that world and and it's one that is met with opposition then it becomes harder to to work out what to do about it in early 2018 then the fair play movement started and that was partly related to the global events of the time there had been women's movements and the Me Too movement. And so the Fair Play movement was a parallel movement to many other ones that were happening around the world, specifically focused on traditional and folk music in Ireland. I was involved in Fair Play at the start and it became clear to me because of the reaction that we had that this wasn't going to be a straightforward situation where we spoke about our experiences and people responded positively. It really wasn't what happened, unfortunately. There were people who didn't agree. There were people who didn't experience some of the things we were talking about, men and women, um, who said, you know, I've been working in traditional music for many years. I've never experienced what you're talking about. I don't understand it and I don't recognise the experiences that you're explaining. People want evidence. So it became clear to me that I would have to not only gather this information in a systematic way, but also that one person's experience while really important, was not enough to convince people. It became clear to me that we needed to have a range of experiences, not just so that the the scale of the problem, there'd be some sense of the scale, but also so that the nuance could be really understood because they're so nuanced and so complex and they're so hard to describe as being gender-related a lot of the time or prove as being related to gender that it's only when you take many of these stories together and you look for themes and connections between them that you can really understand that this is an issue and that it is exacerbated by gender. I had to do a really systematic, thematic analysis where I read all of the stories and I coded them all. So there were codes attached to each of these, you know, some related to expectations that were, or assumptions that were made on on the grounds of gender and ways women were expected to dress. Some related to instruments, you know, that they would be assumed to be good at or not good at certain instruments. Uh, Flute, bagpipes, guitar. So, you know, there were many different stories. You know, Some of the media and the responses to this have been based around the most extreme 
examples of abuse um, which do occur and which are really damaging but they make up a smaller number of the codes in these stories. The greatest number are around things like emotional labour, so where there is extra kind of work, mental load um, to be involved in and exist in the, the music scene. The stories came up about sessions, you know, to go into the the environment of a session, which is historically started in pubs at a time when women didn't go to pubs. It was kind of unacceptable space for them to be in. And that was the environment in which sessions started at the end of the 20th century. So there are ways in which that the, those roots of sessions has kind of carried over. And, and some sessions can be places where you can feel uncomfortable or unwelcome, really. Uh, that there are hierarchies of power within the session. Many, many sessions are run by men, and there are, seem to be fewer sessions around the country where the person running the session is, is mm. a woman. I can remember actually going to sessions when I was a kid and finding them, yeah, pretty nerve-wracking in general, which definitely still carries. Um, but there was one that I went to in the Snug in Hughes Pub in Smithfield years ago, and it was an all-women's session. And... The atmosphere was just so different. Of course, it's always going to be different when it's separate genders and uh, segregated in that way, but it was without a lot of that kind of extra added stress that a lot of them carried. Yeah, it's really hard to define that or to put your finger on it or to explain why. You know, people rightly, whenever you bring up these topics in traditional music, they want to know exactly what you're talking about and why and, and how this kind of problem is defined and it's really hard to explain that in a short succinct way you know it took me asking for these stories to be sent in then a lengthy analysis of the work took three years and then to write uh, in a way that was clear and that really brought home the nuance and the complexity and the fact that it builds up over time traditional music you know, it is a place of rules in many ways. It's, by definition, has a long history. And within that history are many examples of having to protect the music. You know, it is a music that over different points in history has been attacked or has died, almost died out in ways. And so there have been collectors and there have been efforts to preserve it. And I wonder whether that has made a situation where you know, people are a bit defensive of the music or a bit reluctant to see change or a bit nervous of innovation, really. Sometimes that can happen. Um, but when that reluctance to change stops people from playing the music or prevents people from participating, I think that's a real problem. This problem was shown to be present across all contexts in Irish traditional music, which is in a way depressing, but it also means that every single person involved in Irish traditional music, men and women, can affect change.
Una Monaghan there talking to Culture Files Onya Gallagher and 121 Stories, The Impact of Gender on Participation in Irish Traditional Music is available online now.